Welcome to the Fresh Brownies podcast featuring Steve Dorschick, the award-winning Browns beat writer for the Canton Repository. I'm Chris Bevan, sports editor at the Repository. And uh, this year we're going to, or today I should say, we're going to talk about uh, the Browns maybe being one of those surprise teams in the NFL. Uh, every year, Steve, someone is that team. Every year you think it could be the Browns that's in the mix to, to be a surprise team, and, and every year it hasn't been. What uh, what makes you think this year could be a little different for them? Well, I said it in the last couple of podcasts, uh, Chris, and uh, thank you for the welcome. It's uh, good to be here uh, in a uh, claustrophobic little uh, podcast room. <laughs> we should be out there enjoying the beautiful uh, football weather. It's football weather if you play for Florida State right now, and but the, the, the season's upon us uh, all, almost. It's just a few weeks until the, uh, the Ravens open up their training camp in advance of them uh, being in the Hall of Fame game. And, of course, the Browns are right behind them, and it's time to talk about this, this sort of stuff. Coming off of uh, minicamp and uh, spring practice, uh, do they show signs of being a, a surprise team? And the overall bi- vibe, with the tone being set by John Dorsey, as we've uh, said all along in these casts, is that uh, yeah, there's a buzz up there. There's a real positive energy up there. There's some players up there now, and that's where it all starts. Yeah, it's definitely a completely different energy coming out of there. And I think one thing, though, that you and I have talked about it as a surprise team, what would constitute a surprise? I mean, is it do they have to be a playoff team this year, or is it just winning five games, which would obviously be a five-game improvement from where they were uh, you know, a season ago? What, what do you think uh, – constitutes being a surprise for the fans anything but five and eleven chris <laughs> <laughs> uh, for for some people i don't know if five uh, wins or or four wins or or six wins would be a surprise for uh, a lot of people i don't think it would be a, at at this uh, point uh, too much it's almost an expectation because of dorsey's acquisitions uh, because of uh, some of the holdovers having some experience now uh I think uh, everyone would agree that uh, four, five, six wins would not constitute the Browns being a surprise. I think that kind of the question is uh, to get to the level of surprise, which to me is a winning record. If, if you don't have a 9-7 record or better, you know, you were just okay. It was a nice season. You were 500 maybe. But 9-7 uh, and seven, uh, and up, Chris, so to me would uh, constitute a surprise. And then, of course, the question becomes – how far-fetched is it to imagine the Browns reaching that level? And I think, uh, at least for me personally, in reading what you've been writing, reading some stuff elsewhere, and just kind of getting a feel from the interviews I've watched, I think this team does believe it is better than a five-win team, that it's better than you know one of those teams that maybe shows improvement but doesn't show significant improvement. Um, there just seems to be a, a different attitude up there. And, and like you mentioned, it starts with Dorsey, but a lot of the guys that have been brought in uh, Landry, for one, comes to mind. You know, some of the receivers they've been signing in the past that had decent track records. You just there was no, there was nothing coming in from those guys. You, you could tell that they were kind of coming in just to get a payday, and and that's not been the vibe that he's been sending off. Right. Uh, you just uh, mentioned without mentioning uh, his name, uh, Dwayne Bow, and uh, <laughs> that that Kenny he came Brett, to mind. Uh, I, until this very moment, I say, who was the other guy? Kenny, <laughs> Kenny Britt. How soon they forget, but Kenny Britt and uh, Dwayne Bowe were the quintessential uh, Keith Hernandez's uh, guys uh, <laughs> who uh, wanted a few dollars more and uh, wanted to play a few innings or a few downs less. But, uh, yeah, the guys that they brought in uh, are all handpicked by Dorsey and his crew. Some of them are, are Green Bay Packer-type uh, uh, guys who were brought in by Alonzo Highsmith 
and Elliot Wolf, Dorsey's right-hand men. But they were all very careful picks, and they were all picked with uh, a, uh, a big uh, mindset of making everything uh, fit together. And uh, so far, it looks like uh, the, the pieces have a real chance to fit together. And uh, again, back to the point of uh, it all starts uh, somewhere. And as always, it all starts with the quarterback they've chosen to lead the first part of the season, Tyrod Taylor. And Taylor, I think it was, you know, you've pointed out a couple of times he's coming in with, a, you know, basically a 500 record. I think it's 22 and 21 in his, you know, career before becoming a Brown this year. But uh, in your research, you came across a guy who comes in with a, a very similar record before he had a, a late in career breakthrough. Uh, why don't you talk about that? Right, uh, Chris. Rich Gannon is the guy you're you're talking about. And, um, uh the the backstory and the back thought on on this regarding Tyrod Taylor is twenty two and twenty one is uh, better than uh, what uh, Deshaun Kaiser was zero and fifteen, Cody Kessler was zero uh, and eight, uh, and on and on and on and back to uh, Tim Couch's uh, fifteen and uh, twenty five or whatever Timmy was. Uh, none of that is good enough, and even Tyrod Taylor's twenty two and twenty one is not good enough to suggest. He has the stuff going on age 29 to uh, to lead the Browns out of the muck and be that surprise team. He is going to have to be better than he has ever been. And I talked to uh, Vic Carucci from the Buffalo paper now. He worked with the Browns for quite a while. But uh, Vic has been around the league a, a long time and uh, followed the Bills all last year and followed Taylor all last year. I asked Vic if he thinks – Taylor has any more left in his game, and Vic didn't hesitate very long before he said that uh, what you see from Tyrod Taylor or what you saw in Buffalo is what you're going to get in Cleveland. That's going to not going to be good enough, and I'm not willing to draw that line on him and say that he can't improve anymore. And in looking for examples, in, in addition to his own energy, he thinks, thinks he can be better, and he seems like a very driven individual, and he's established himself as a, as a leader type. So what's within him tells me that he thinks he can be better, whether he can or not. Uh, I see a guy who really wants to be and is going to work to be. But uh, to the point of actually finding someone who ever did that in the NFL, and there aren't a lot of examples of guys who uh, at this age are just now settling in as starting quarterbacks. But one of them is Rich Gannon, 22 and 21, including 0-1 in the playoffs for Taylor, right? Guess what Gannon's record was when he was almost exactly the same age as Tyrod Taylor, 19 and 20. And uh, you don't have to guess, most uh, most people of a certain age know that uh, Gannon took off, had uh, some great years, really great years, because he was a league MVP in one of those years with uh, with the Oakland Raiders. And uh, he did that when he, was, when he was past 30. And he did that when no one would have expected it. And, uh, and he led uh, the Raiders to three straight uh, big winning seasons. I think it was 11-5 and five or better in all three of his best seasons, one of them uh, finishing in a Super Bowl. So you say that uh, you would have to say to yourself, there, there are guys out there who nobody would have guessed are gonna, going to be uh, way better than they ever were at age 29, 30-ish. Uh, but uh, there's an example. I think the key in a situation like that with Gannon, it comes to maybe – the teammates around him, the scheme, the coaching. In his case, he, you know, he's suddenly working with 
uh, Gruden, right when he's becoming the, the rising star of the NFL coaching. Was thrown to Jerry Rice, yeah. And he was thrown to Jerry Rice, and he, you know, he had some playmakers around them. You know, is that going to be enough with Taylor coming to Cleveland? Now he's working with Haley, Coach Jackson. They've brought in some new playmakers around him. Is that the type of thing that uh, that you think maybe reinvents a guy in addition to whatever his own work is that he's putting in? One of the uh, interesting or amusing or, depending on your perspective, hilarious things to come out of minicamp was Josh Gordon uh, stepping into the microphone and saying <laughs> that the Browns not are going to have but do have the best uh, wide receiver core in the NFL. Now, uh, I, I guess that would sound preposterous for anybody uh, whose team was 0-16 last year to say that, uh, but you parse it out, and uh, it's, uh, it's, it's not – Completely stupid, and and, and uh, the reasons are pretty obvious. I mean, everybody knows that uh, in a planet far away, uh, uh, many light years ago, Josh Gordon, uh, who's only 27 years old now, had 1,600 yards plus in only 14 games and uh, was uh, a superstar in the making. So there's the guy who said that uh, has, uh, has a track record. Jarvis Landry and uh, minicamp and spring uh, practice, Chris, looks super. I mean, he was. Uh, it's almost like he, if, if uh, the catches he were making uh, would have been followed by a little dance or a celebration, it would have, would have been showing off and bragging and annoying. But he would make uh, one-handed catches in traffic, uh, being covered uh, sometimes by the likes of the very athletic Denzel Ward. He'd make them look easy and and seamless. And in some cases, it was the only place to catch the ball uh, with a normal stride, one-handed. But Landry really looked great. So there's there's two uh, who have some credentials. Uh, you know, uh, Gordon has credentials. Uh, Landry, averaging a hundred yards a year, has credentials. The big X factor uh, for them to get over a hump would be Corey Coleman, who was the first wideout drafted in 2016, actually uh, looking any good. He's just uh, looked pretty good, maybe even very good in four or five games across his first two years he's been injured in a bunch of them and he's been invisible in a bunch of others so he's going to have to make a big jump and there was really no evidence in minicamp that he's ready to make that jump and uh, it's all on him now there's a lot of pressure on him and everybody's saying it uh, the uh, the whiteouts coaches uh, Haley and uh, Hugh Jackson uh, and and Dorsey said this too the quote from Dorsey on Corey Coleman is it's a big year for him yeah, I, I think uh, when you're drafted that high, obviously somebody saw something in you to be an elite type receiver. He, he's just like you mentioned, showing the flashes of it. The other thing, the receivers uh, that you have is uh, Callaway, the the kind of the the wild card pick who who probably has high end talent. Definitely, you're talking about a guy that was at Florida and probably was all SCT all SEC type of talent. Had off field issues. They're hoping they can straighten him out. If if you get three of those guys performing at a high level, I don't know if they're, they're the best guys out there, but they could be a very good uh, uh, team with receivers. On Callaway, uh, a man of real intrigue because uh, he was suspended for all of the last college season uh, and uh, had uh, three or four other red flags dropping him uh, down to the, the, the fourth round. But uh, on Callaway... It's interesting. You wouldn't know from talking to any of his teammates uh, or the coaches up there in minicamp that it had had any problems at all or was even fighting to make the team. Now, maybe if you extended out the, the, the coaches' conversations, 
they'd uh, they'd get back to their coach speak and say, yeah, he's like everybody else. He's going to have to earn his way here. But, Chris, the context I was getting from uh, all of these guys in minicamp was uh, he's already arrived as a guy everybody knows can play. It's almost as if uh, they're assuming that uh, uh, he's going to be in the kind of a safe cocoon with the revised support structure that the Browns have around him and, and a real intentionality about uh, making sure that they're not babysitting him but, but taking care of him and, and uh, working him through his issues. They already, uh, already are talking uh, about him as a guy who's going to be a player, maybe, uh, maybe as a uh, punt returner who supplants Jabril Peppers and takes some heat off of uh, him so he can go play defense, but definitely as a wideout. So, yeah, that is – that is the guy uh, who's who's really pushing Corey Coleman. So Josh Gordon's grand dream, or not dream, a statement of fact that the Browns reality have Reality for yes, Josh. To the Josh Gordon reality that the Browns are the best uh, wideout core in the league uh, includes Antonio uh, Callaway. And I might mention, just as an aside, it's something that did come up uh, in minicamp that uh, – was almost brought up as an aside, but uh, the coaches are looking at Hollywood Higgins as uh, as the next guy. Well, and Ricardo would, Lewis is, is, is the the stock for Lewis has dropped. Uh, Hollywood Higgins is, is the next guy they're looking at. And, and I was thinking of those guys too because when you talk about Coleman in sixteen, well, he wasn't the only receiver they drafted. They decided to to corner the market to, in the later rounds on receivers that. You know, hey, maybe they'll break through. And Lewis and Higgins are, are two of the survivors from that group, as well as obviously Coleman. Their flashes have been even fewer than than uh, than what Coleman has done to give any hint that they'll be viable uh, options for the Browns, or nothing more than footnotes like a Darren Shiverini or, or somebody like that from the uh, the early dark ages of the Browns expansion era. Yeah, Hollywood Higgins did spring for a hundred ish in one of the games late in the season last year, or so. Uh, that was after Ricardo Lewis was on the field uh, a bunch and uh, and uh, produced next to nothing. The, the other offensive uh, skill position where you where I think there's reason for optimism because of the depth and would play into you know Tyrod Taylor having that type of breakthrough at the, at age 29 is in the backfield where you've got three really good running backs and one of them you've kind of pegged as one of those ten guys that will need to to be really good to help this team to be a surprise team and that's. Carlos Hyde, the the former Ohio State uh, Buckeye. Yeah, the um, the backfield to me is a lot stronger than it was when uh, Isaiah Crowell was running the ball. Uh, I was never a big Crowell fan. Uh, uh, I watched him uh, every week, of course. Not that uh, I have the the trained eye, but uh, I've been watching the team uh, for. Uh, long enough to have a, a decent layman's opinion. And mine was that uh, Car- that uh, Crowell was a below-average feature back. Now, something that uh, was said late in the season in a conversation I had with, with Chris Spielman by Chris kind of uh, uh, took me by surprise. But uh, I asked Chris who were some of the Browns that impressed him in one of the network games that, uh, that he called. And... Uh, he kind of uh, he raved about Crowell. He said that's uh, that's that's the kind of effort and energy I want on the team. So, you know, um, I think it depended on what game you saw from him too. Yeah, uh, right. That was I, there were some games where I would look at him and think, oh, you know, maybe he's going to turn the corner, and then there would be three straight games where he's averaging two and a half yards a carry. Right. For me, I'm uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, I, I'm uh, I'm just uh, 
perfectly okay with uh, without Crowell on the team. The question is, uh, how much better is Hyde? Maybe uh, he's only a skosh better, and uh, that uh, that won't be good enough to make an impact. He's going to need to be, you know, a couple of notches better than Crowell, in, in my opinion. And then, of course, if he's not, you drafted Chubb way up there, high in the second round. And this is a guy. Both of, both of these guys in minicamp, the uh, the coaches and uh, I think Tyrod Taylor uh, also went out of their way to say that, uh, geez, I didn't know that uh, Carlos Hyde was uh, a leader type. But in addition to Hyde having uh, obvious talent uh, from his, I think he had like a, like a 1,600-yard. Uh, he, he had a at, huge season at Ohio at, State. Yeah, he was, he was, uh, was a beast for one year at Ohio State and, and looked, uh, looked the part and uh, scouted out to the part and was drafted pretty high. But in addition to having, uh, uh, in my opinion, uh, noticeably more talent than uh, than Crowell, he's a leader type. Isaiah was not was not that, and uh, they need all of the uh, veteran uh, attitude they can get on this team. And if that uh, if it doesn't work out, then they they love Chubb. That came out in minicamp as as well. Everything they uh, they thought about Chubb going uh, into picking him in the, in the second round uh, came true for them in, in minicamp. They just love Chubb. And they think he's uh, Jamal Lewis uh, play alike, and uh, Jamal Lewis had a two thousand yard uh, year at his peak. So that'd uh, that'd be cool if they could get uh, get that out of him. But the the, the question is, you don't know with these guys yet. Uh, Hyde has uh, not had a thousand yard season in the NFL. Chubb's a rookie. Duke Johnson is a u- utility guy. Do you uh, do you get anywhere close to the impact out of a three headed monster like that? That you would get out of a uh, a Todd Gurley and Ezekiel Ezekiel Elliott or a Saquon uh, Barkley, uh, and and that that gets back to uh, I I kind of wanted to see Barkley on this team because he would have been the real instant impact guy uh, for their offense. I mean they would have had to sacrifice a, a lot of their draft and and probably not get Mayfield. Uh, so. Uh, that's fine. They decided not to take Barkley, but I don't want to get carried away with this uh, this backfield and and say they're going to be great. I think they'll be uh, at least uh, average, which they haven't been. They'll at least have an average NFL caliber running back stable. They could be good and they could be very good. I don't think they'll be great. I'll make the argument for Hyde and Chubb from the standpoint in the past when we've been talking about Browns running backs for for a long time, really. You probably have to go back to Greg and Mike Pruitt, who were pretty highly regarded when they came in. Most of the time, the Browns have been taking small college guys who, for whatever reason, fell through the cracks there, or they've been bringing in guys who probably had one year left of magic, and then that was it. Here you're talking about two guys in Hyde, who is still relatively young, Chubb a rookie, who were high-end performers at the highest level of college football. And I think it's a good comp when you bring up the, you, you mentioned Will Gurley and Elliott. Well, Hyde was that first breakthrough running back for for Urban Meyer, kind of setting the stage for what he did with Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, I know a lot of Ohio State fans think if Hyde got the ball more in that one game to against Michigan State that they blew, uh, I think it would have been his final year there where he kind of was a decoy. They win that game. They're you know they're playing for a national title maybe. And then you know Gurley was a great back at Georgia. The baton was picked up and more than carried by Chubb the last three or four years where he was a high-level guy, you know, putting out 1,200, 1,300 yards for a, a team that was a, a contender for the SEC and the national title. And, you know, also 
showed that he could split duties last year when they, when they introduced uh, you know the other running back to, that I think they ended up with two thousand yard rushers or two guys close. So uh, I am optimistic about those guys because I think they're they've got high end talent. You're not reaching on those guys. Obviously, coming out of high school, they were the guy. Coming out of college, you can think they're still the guy. And they're supposed to have good uh, run blockers uh, in front of them as well. But uh, Chris, you get a gold star for uh, the nuance on uh, on those uh, superstar backs, uh, Gurley and the others. Uh, uh, and uh, and uh, while I was listening to your good argument there, uh, one of the things that hit me was was the Pruitts. Now they they were good. Mike and Greg were were good. Uh, you know, a good uh, hammer back and a, and a good uh, shifty back. But what did the Browns uh, ever uh, win with them? I mean, they, they had a little bit of success, but that, that would be half of my point about uh, superstar back versus uh, a stable of, of, of good backs and what maybe they can do uh, with your offense. I mean, uh, the Pruitts, uh, like, like these guys, in my mind, uh, are, are, could be all the way up to the very good line, but not the great line. And uh, they are not good enough backs to, uh, uh, by themselves, make your, uh, your offense uh, transcendent. Or, or they aren't transcendent backs who would lift your offense, however you want to phrase that. And the other guy uh, in franchise history, of course, that you would name, who was a transcendent uh, back and, uh, and uh, was part of making an offense a great offense, was uh, Jim Brown. And after that, a lesser Hall of Fame back, but still a Hall of Fame back. Leroy Kelly did the same thing. He was a good enough running back to uh, to make a, a huge difference for an offense, not just an important difference. And, and the thing that I think that will be key is them trying to figure out the right way to use those guys. Because you, you touched on Duke earlier. I, I still think that guy is a viable option. I don't know that he's a feature back, but definitely is a receiving option, a change of pace guy and something that, that allows them to be able to use these three guys and maybe not wear one guy out. I, I don't know if you're a fan of that, though, or if you'd rather see that guy get the 30 carries a game. I'd be a fan of it, uh, and anybody would, if it works. But uh, name somebody who has a three-back system in the NFL. You know what? Let's go from 0-16 to 14-0. Uh, to and 0. The Miami Dolphins, I think, had a uh, three-back system. Kick, was... Zonka, and Mercury Morris, right? right? And okay. obviously the Steelers did it with the two-backs. There you go. And Every then... 90 years or so you can do that and have uh, three super-backs. Well, and then I think the Patriots uh, reinvent it by just having a different back every other year. Because you never know who's going to be their guy. So the running back obviously is a position that can run hot and cold with people on how important they think it is to an offense or how important it is to have that hammer back there to, to lead the way. Yeah. And, and the bottom line with these guys, uh, Chris, whether uh, I want to draw a line at very good or not, you know, uh, these guys, Hyde, Chubb, and, uh, and Duke Johnson, uh, you know, I, I, I've uh, uh, met uh, all of them, uh, know Duke pretty well. I know they're all pretty driven, uh, and uh, you know they, uh, you know, they're uh, free to prove anybody uh, like me uh, wrong when uh, when I say that the the ceiling on them is very good. Uh, maybe, and to me, it's going to take some real. If Todd Haley's worth his salt, he's going to have to be the guy who figures out uh, how you maximize uh, blending those three guys together and spotting in the plays that. Uh, no, uh, feed into all their strengths and, uh, and keep all of them in enough rhythm to make them effective. So it'd be, uh, you know, 
there are no no Browns fan alive. I wouldn't uh, love to see it happen, but it, uh, there aren't many examples of it happening with a three-headed backfield. I, I think the one thing is we're talking about the offense. I'm just thinking playing into that surprise element is just be entertaining because I know as a fan – you know, most Brown games weren't even entertaining. I mean, even if they're going six and ten, but they're scoring points, I'll watch a game. So it'll be interesting to see if they can get something out of this. What I wanted to switch gears here was uh, talk about that other side of the ball, where again, there's a lot of talent. You have a proven coordinator who's won at other places, and, and the one guy that jumps out at me that you had on your list of of ten guys that need to come through to to be a surprise is is Michael Kendricks. He's already been a part of a winner, winning a Super Bowl what five months ago with uh, with Philadelphia. And the thing I found interesting in, in reading your your uh, your story on this was that uh, Greg Robinson had had his eye on him for a while. That that in a perfect world he'd have been coaching him five years ago, six years ago when he came out of the draft. So this is a guy that, in some way, they've had some history with on the defensive side that they were hoping uh, you know Robinson was hoping one day to get to work with him. Yeah. Chris, uh, you watch baseball, right? Uh, yeah. Do Matt Underwood, Matt Underwood, and uh, Rick Manning hate each other? I don't know. I okay. don't think so. We're friends, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Because right, right now, uh, whoever Rick Manning, if Matt Underwood had said uh, Greg Robinson instead of Greg Williams, like oh, he, Greg Williams, <laughs> yeah, Manning would be burning a hole right in the middle of uh, of Underwood's face. And I, I know you know who Greg Williams is, so I'm just putting that out there. So since we're friends, we can bring it up that way and say, yeah, that's right. Greg Williams did want to draft right. uh, uh, Michael Kendricks, and uh, Kendricks is a uh, uh, probably a perfect guy for you to bring up from this list of guys that uh, that need to. Uh, no, uh, really have career years or uh, or a step-up years to make the Browns a surprise team. Some of the guys are obvious. He's not. But uh, Williams really likes him. Uh, Williams really loves being able to have these chess pieces who he can move around and put in uh, different positions. For example, he pretty much has said uh, the other day when we were talking to him at minicamp that at times uh, Kendrick's uh, – uh, will line up at defensive end, but he won't be a defensive end. He'll be he'll be uh, dropping into some other uh, position. He said maybe uh, at other times he'll uh, drop somebody like uh, like uh, Miles Garrett to what looks like a linebacker position, but he uh, won't be a linebacker. He'll be doing something else. But Kendricks can do a little bit of everything. He's big enough to uh, line up any anywhere, strong enough and tough enough. He's he's actually not big enough quite to uh, to line up a, a defensive end and function uh, regularly, but he's a really tough guy. The thing about him, though, is he's super fast. And one thing that Dorsey thought the whole defense uh, needed when uh, when he evaluated the tape after he got uh, hired in, in, uh, in December was uh, he, he thought the Browns were a slow, uh, slow defense, way too slow for his taste. Kendricks is really fast. He's as uh, fast. He's got safety speed, and uh, he's probably faster than some of the cornerbacks who have come uh, come through uh, Berea. He's he's as fast as some of them. The one thing that jumped out about me about Kendricks, and then when you were you know kind of sizing him up, you mentioned driven, competitive. That's something that came up with I think surprising yeah, you're, you're people quoting, on Hyde quoting Williams now. He's right. That. Yeah, it's something that I think people are saying about Hyde. It's something you've kind of gotten the idea from Taylor. He's very driven, competitive, wants to prove himself. Kendrick has made no secret. Yeah, I won a Super Bowl. That was great. Now I want to prove that I can be a a star in, in this you know star at linebacker. So you've got some guys with the Browns who have something to prove. 
and, and playing with a chip on their shoulder. And I think that goes back to Dorsey, a guy who kind of ha- probably has that attitude when he was playing and proving himself coming out of was it Connecticut that he played at uh, the smaller small college level. Dorsey played for UConn. Yeah, yeah. so uh, you kind of see that personality of Dorsey taking shape here with some of these newcomers who could be the uh, the lifeblood to turn this around. Right. All, all, all that's true. And uh, in addition to that, in, a, in, a, in addition to these uh, not second-line players, but guys you might not automatically think of as being key guys because they're, they're bringing the passion, uh, one guy uh, who uh, is one of the obvious guys, super important to everything they're doing, the number one overall pick from last year, Miles Garrett. I really, uh, really got a chuckle out of following Garrett around uh, last week. When he was a rookie, he was nonchalant, and I thought he was nonchalant, nonchalant, too nonchalant. He wasn't going to try hard enough. He didn't care enough. Now, I know Dorsey's been in his ear. One of the first things Dorsey did was get in his ear and say, hey, you got to bring a little bit more, buddy boy. He calls his guys buddy boy. He called Baker Mayfield buddy boy when he uh, called him uh, on the phone to draft him. But he said, hey, buddy boy, we need a little bit more out of you. And uh, Garrett, from what I can tell, I'm pretty sure of this too, that Dorsey had a long talk with him and that it resonated. And that not that Garrett necessarily needed uh, a wake-up call, but he rethought it a little bit about, uh, well, am I relying a little bit too much on uh, having more talent than everybody else out there? And do I need to bring more juice? And I think he's uh, going to bring it this year. I know he's very smug right now uh, in, a, in a good way cocky in a good way maybe not in a good way you know you hate a guy who's a little bit too full of himself but he really really and very obviously believes that he's going to wipe some people out this year for example he was making fun of his own left tackle that he's facing in practice sean coleman (laughs) kind of went how's coleman coming along and he went yeah Well, and to be honest with you, the Browns need some of that. I mean, you, yeah. you can't have a bunch of humble, nice guys out there. You, you need some guys with uh, some, some swagger or whatever you want to call it. So it'd be, it would be nice to see him back that up. And I think a, a real key for them will be not only Garrett doing that, but another guy you had on your list, Ogba, because if they're able to get that type of tandem at defensive end, the secondary, if it's as improved as they, they think and hope it'll be, then you're talking about a defense that can not only, you know, stop offenses but but make things happen you know come up with big you know sacks force turnovers and that's obviously what your better teams every year do in a lot of cases those surprise teams each year are teams that all of a sudden are you know making things happen on that side of the ball and I think as you point out that's something that's going to have to develop with those two at defensive end right uh and uh Ogba's one of the question marks he was the first pick of a second round uh a few years ago, so uh, he uh, he has obvious uh, an obvious good scouting report in his background, and and they uh, talk as though they think he'll break through. But I'm I'm pretty sold, Chris. I'm I'm calling right now that uh, that Garrett's going to have a big uh, second year if he's healthy. I'm not uh, ready to make that kind of call in Agba. I think there's a chance, but uh, he is one of those guys who's kind of a a swing guy because uh, you don't you're not able to predict quite whether he's just going to be okay. In which case, uh, a bunch of okay guys aren't going to lift them up that much. But if he makes a jump and has a, a, a breakout year, then if you have five, six, seven guys having breakout years, which is possible with the group they have, uh, then you get your surprise year. The final guy I was going to bring up is right into that category of a need of a breakout year and has the pedigree for you to believe he could do it 
is Jabril Peppers, who uh, basically played his rookie season out in Lake Erie in the defense uh, for a variety of reasons, it sounds like. But this year, I think you're going to see him obviously a lot closer to the line of scrimmage and making an impact. What did what have you seen so far? OTAs, mini camp to make you think that uh, Jabril Jabril Peppers, you know, was worth a first round pick last year. We were talking to the defensive backs coaches uh, last week in uh, in mini camp, and this topic came up. And uh, well, it goes back to uh, Glenn Schembechler, made who is a former scout with a famous dad, Bo. Glenn Schembechler at the Hall of Fame Luncheon Club was talking about uh, Jabril Peppers, of course, a Michigan guy. And he was saying that he doesn't think he knows, and uh, he would have talked to the Brown staff about this. He knows that this, uh, you know, playing halfway to Bay Village uh, as as a free safety was a complete setup uh, year for Peppers. That they they knew that they were they were playing him out of position. They knew that they were going to give up a bunch of stuff. They knew them. I, I don't think they cared that they were going to get laughed at, even though they did. But the whole idea was. Uh, according to uh, the scout Glenn Schembechler, to get Peppers a whole year of uh, of seeing the whole Greg Williams scheme from the back end, and during the conversations uh, with the defensive backfield coaches this past week, uh, uh, they they said, "Yeah, that's that is what it's all about." That was a great observation by Shemmy. They called Glenn Schembechler. Shemmy knows what he's talking about. But one of the coaches uh, told told me uh, he he went into great detail explaining why a Peppers playing in the box is going to have a completely more mature uh, sensibility about what's going on behind him and where he needs to position himself because he saw it from the back last year. It'll be interesting to see what that translates to. Overall, as we kind of wrap this up, Steve, what, what was your big takeaway from the mini camp last week? Is the you know is pretty much now they're going into their vacation time for the players, coaches, and staff. But what was your takeaway uh, once things wrapped up that uh, that stood you know st- still sticking with you a week later? Takeaways that uh, Dorsey has put together uh, about as good a roster as he possibly could uh, in a in a few months, and that it's a, a way better roster than it was last year you know the uh, the younger guys will have a year more experience and they'll come back better and uh, and he added the right kind of veterans so uh i'm i always say that it uh it doesn't matter uh, and no, nothing else matters only the quarterback matters i uh am less of that opinion this year of course tyrod taylor matters if he's not uh, better than he was in buffalo is this going to be a, a building season and, and a bridge to baker mayfield but uh, better roster all the way around and a better quarterback situation, but not as important for the quarterback to, uh, to uh, exceed all expectations as it has been in the past. You know, all he has, if he is himself, they'll at least be presentable. It'll be interesting to see uh, once they get back at it in July, and we'll be back in the studio here to do another uh, Browns podcast, I'm sure, before then. I'm Chris Bevan. Thanks for listening to the Fresh Brownies podcast featuring Steve Dorshuk, a podcast from CantonRep.com and the Canton Repository Sports Department. (laughs) 